Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 37. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be talking about the Starbucks Race Together campaign. So, of course, entering into this Race Together campaign with Starbucks, undoubtedly we're going to be entering into the topic of race. As two white college students, we acknowledge that we may not be the most knowledgeable or the best people to be talking about this. However, we think it's still important to talk about. And if it is a sensitive topic for you, we mean no offense. And you don't have to listen, and we completely respect that. We would also say, and we'll remind you at the end of the episode, if you have any comments about things that we've said or take issue with anything we've said, we mean no disrespect, and we want to learn and better understand issues like this. So That's please. why we're talking about it. Exactly. So to begin, I read an ad in Advertising Age, March 23rd, 2015 was the issue, and it mentioned the Starbucks Race Together campaign. I'll include links to all of these things. But essentially, the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, sent out a company memo. I will also include a picture of that or a link to that for people who want to read it. And it encouraged baristas to write race together on coffee cups and other orders, and also to engage customers on a discussion about race. And there's so many issues with this, but I also think it was done, hopefully, with good intentions. I also acknowledge there's a corporate interest there. It doesn't come as a surprise from Starbucks, who is known to be a pretty socially progressive company. Right. So it wasn't a shocking move, I think. Definitely with good intentions, but kind of ill-informed at the same time. Right. And a lot of people on the internet have leapt on this and criticized it. SNL made a very funny skit called Pep Boys about mechanics engaging their customers on gender identity and sexuality issues. Exactly. <laughs> Which I think is funny for a lot of reasons. One of the biggest issues with the Race Together campaign is not its intentions, but that it sort of ignores the reality that, first of all, people getting coffee, unless they're those people that are there at Starbucks to write a novel with their laptop out, are not sticking around for very long. They want to get in, get their order, get out. Not to mention that the employees are pretty much just bustling around the entire time, running around trying to fill people's orders. It's not really the model where there's no waiting service, there's no real service that's not behind the counter. So how are employees really supposed to engage in their clients, really? Exactly. And like you said, the baristas and other employees are sort of bustling around. Consumers aren't there for very long. They're getting their coffee, like I said, and getting out. But there have been studies that have actually shown, like at McDonald's, the longer a consumer has to wait, the less satisfied they get. They're very, very impatient. People are so finicky nowadays when you can get everything instantly. I mean, it's called fast food. People expect fast food. Right. And so I think on one level, people just want one thing. They want their coffee or their donuts or whatever. They don't want to talk about race. And another thing that sort of irks me is that you have this big issue like race, which plenty of people think we're in a post-racial America. We're definitely not. But to address a big issue like that, and there are thousands of big issues in our world, to do it at a coffee shop to me seems problematic because it doesn't give it enough time. It's like if you made a marriage proposal on your way to the bus stop, you need to take the time to do certain important things. It's minimizing it to be some casual conversation you can have. And maybe we should be able to have substantial conversations But in a coffee house setting, especially one like Starbucks, which is so widespread, mass produced, and it's not an intimate environment where people go and sit and chat and especially not with the employees. And maybe that's not great, but that's kind of just how it is. Of course. And I think another interesting thing that was noted is that Melody Hobson, who is a black Starbucks board member, said, the first step towards action is awareness. So I'm here to talk about what I've seen and what I've lived with the hope that we can all feel a little less anxious and a little more bold when it comes to conversations about race. And she's absolutely right. I just think the venue's not quite proper Exactly. 
And I will admit that the Capitol building in D.C. and other politically oriented spaces, often with highly white members, doesn't seem like a great space either. I think we need to find that balance or maybe in school systems, open it up a little bit more and be a more progressive. But a coffee shop doesn't seem like the best place. And I also think, as you mentioned before recording this episode, maybe baristas don't want to talk about it or don't share the views. Not to mention Starbucks is in every city in the country, small, large, not every city or Starbucks in the country is going to have the same viewpoints on this. There's going to be Starbucks in Alabama and people may not have the same views on race that people in New York City do. It's making a company homogenous that isn't necessarily homogenous. You can't just assume everyone will will love black people the same way other people do in all parts of the country just because you work for the same man or the same label. Mm -hmm. I agree. An interesting thing that pops into my head when you mention different cities around the United States is that what if there's a Starbucks that is mostly white employees and mostly white customers? I think a discussion about race, kind of like the one we're having now, within a certain sphere of only white individuals or individuals who haven't experienced racism is problematic because... immensely skewed, probably. Right. And you're not really pushing the envelope or making any progress. You're just circumnavigating this really tense issue. Or just fluffing each other up in some ways. I mean, you can, if you have a conversation in a Starbucks, when it's a Starbucks employee and their client and they're both white, then you can say like, yeah, race is an issue. It's like, yes, it is. But I don't know much of what comes of it because those two people are not experiencing the problems that are occurring. And maybe they're becoming more socially aware and maybe they'll start thinking about racial issues and diversity within the country and how it's not going as well as it frankly should. But I agree with you that it becomes fluffing up in a lot of ways. And I think there are other ways you can go about it that don't require imposing a conversation on someone or imposing someone to initiate a conversation. It's just a matter of marketing. They're conflating a real serious issue in the States and they're trying to make it approachable. But at the same time, the marketing is lacking. I mean, you could, I don't know, I'm not trying to offer solutions or marketing suggestions as an anthropology major, but, you know, even just putting a poster or something in Starbucks stores that says we need to talk about this. Maybe people would talk about it on their own accord rather than it being like an imposed forced experience. I agree. Similarly, I know I'm going to make sort of a parenting comparison here. There are certain kids who feel open to bring up topics with their parents, like the birds and the bees talk. And I think similarly, although these are very different topics and ideas, letting people approach you to talk about something is very different than coming up to them and saying, hey, we got to talk about this right now because it's important. And I don't disagree. Certain topics are important, but letting people reach that level of comfort on their own is very key to actually having a productive conversation. Not to mention Howard Schultz also kind of requiring employees to do this. I agree. I mean, I think now he's been like, okay, you don't have to, or company has been like, you don't have to. But not everyone is as engaged politically or knowledgeable. If people are forced to start this conversation and if they have no idea what they're talking about, then that could lead to also some really bad PR. Absolutely. Starbucks, although it is a progressive company in a lot of ways or wants to be, it's serving a wide range of customers, especially in age. And I think age is very important because 60 years ago, racial relations in the country were very different and notably worse, but things still aren't great. And I think that there's a lot of deeply held views that are very hard to erode. And I think they should be so that we can reach a better place as a society. But it's not as easy as simply starting a Starbucks campaign. And I mean, as you said, it's not anywhere near as visible as it used to be. And it's deeply hegemonic. I mean, people are unconsciously racist. I think we probably both are to some respect, you know, like even if we don't want to be, we probably are. I mean, studies show that people 
are racist, even if they've been told their whole lives that everyone's equal. And I mean, it's incredibly hard to combat. Right. And it's uncomfortable because we look inward and see that trait in ourselves and find it problematic and don't really know how to deal with it or discuss it. And you say the wrong thing and people jump down your throat and criticize you. And I think that the intentions were right with Race Together. I also think you have to acknowledge that they are a company. They are looking to make money. And at the end of the day, that kind of saddens me that the reason that they're doing it is partially, whether they admit it or not, to be a more profitable company. Exactly. To be appealing to the consumer Mm -hmm. that they do appeal to, which is generally more progressive. I mean, that's diminished over time because they are such a massive company now. But initially, I mean, they were founded in Seattle. It's a pretty progressive place in Mm -hmm. the U.S. I think they still hold those values. For sure. And I want to note that in the eight-page insert that Howard Schultz sent out throughout the company, the memo, this was on March 20th, he included a series of statements about race, one of which was, white people control almost 90% of the nation's wealth, which is striking because only 67% of the households in America are white, and they were misusing certain facts based around income versus net worth and also value of household. And it's very difficult. Statistics, of course, can be manipulated in any way that you want to say certain things. And I think it's problematic because it says something that financially isn't quite true. Don't get me wrong. Things are very skewed in terms of race and white wealth versus the wealth of you know, African Americans or Hispanic Americans. And I just think they're misusing some of these facts. And efforts like this remind me of Chick-fil-A, who I think a few years ago, maybe two or three, said that they were anti-gay and wouldn't serve gay customers, and I think actually would donate to certain funds that opposed gay marriage and other gay rights. And I remember a lot of people had very strong opinions. And I also remember some people saying, I don't support what they're doing, but I really like their food, so I'm going to keep eating there, which is really sad to hear. Or I remember people flocking to Chick-fil-A because they did, in fact, support them. And there were lines outside to play. I feel like being so isolated in this pretty liberal community of Kenyan, we forget that now like maybe 40% of America does not think that gay people should be able to get married. And I think for us, something so horrendous, like a company saying, oh, we're not going to serve gay people. We don't believe in that. We're a Christian company. And people flocking to support that. I think that people are kind of disgusted by that around us. But some people are really happy about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of the phrase, vote with your wallet. And I think that says a lot. And on the positive side, it works well with some things. If you don't like a certain movie franchise, don't go. And if enough people don't, they won't make money and they probably won't make movies like that. But with things like food, everyone's going to eat food. A lot of Americans eat fast food. And so frankly, companies like this do have a lot of sway, like the people I'm citing who didn't support it, but still wanted to eat. Maybe they don't recognize how dangerous it is and what they're implying by still going to a company like that. Exactly. However, at the same time, I know people who were like, okay, well, I love Chick-fil-A. It's delicious, but I'm not eating there again because I don't believe in what they stand for, which I also support. But at the same time, that doesn't do that much. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not supporting a business because they don't believe in what you believe in. So, oh, wow, like you're such a hero. That's not starting the conversation and continuing the conversation that needs to happen in I order agree. to combat this issue. It's not just about not buying chicken anymore and or, I th- or buying more chicken. Like <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And I think one issue that might bridge us back to Starbucks eventually is that As we've mentioned, employees become the middle person here and they have to negotiate between their bosses who are paying them 
And the customers who, in a way, are also generating the revenue that eventually pays them. And I think it's difficult when you're relying on the next paycheck. And plenty of people that work at fast food restaurants probably are relying on the next paycheck for survival. And so maybe they don't have a choice but to support the company they're already working for, even if they disagree with the views. And that's so messed up. There's no other way to say it. It saddens me. Totally. I mean, you take a person who says, oh, I will not dine at Chick-fil-A anymore. I don't support their message. However people behind the counter in those places may not support it either and yet they can't do anything about it because that's their job and they need that money so that person who says i'm not supporting this anymore i refuse to dine there is in fact depriving someone of their living even if it means that you're supporting a cause that you disagree with however it's all cyclical nobody wins at the end of the day right ideally in campaigns like this if people had the time and were willing to invest the effort, you start it from the bottom up instead of the top down. You ask all the employees at every level, what are your moral views on this? Let's have that discussion within the company first and sort of see where we are, get a litmus test and find out how we feel. And if everyone agrees on a certain value, then I think it's okay. And then you can try a campaign like this. Often social campaigns don't work the best in these contexts, but it's so sad to think that someone in a CEO position who frankly is detached in many ways, I'm sure he worked his way up the ladder, but he's no longer at that bottom rung is then giving these commands and orders, for lack of better terms, and telling people what to believe in a lot of ways. I think it's tricky. And another important detail that I'd like to mention is that Starbucks, at its annual investors meeting, which also occurred around the middle of March, noted a commitment to hiring disenfranchised and disconnected young people of color as cashiers and baristas. It goes along with the idea of affirmative action actually looking out for minorities who might not have much representation in the workplace, but at the same time, putting someone who's black behind the counter and asking them to discuss what must be a very sensitive issue because it deals with race, which is something that is a construct, but that has been constructed around us all our lives, and especially for the lives of people who do belong to minorities, how uncomfortable it must be and how twisted in a lot of ways. I mean, in one scenario, you have just white people talking about it and they just haven't experienced it. And then on the other side of the spectrum, You have a black person who may have experienced it too much and it's too sensitive and it's just messy, I think. I think it's a messy way of going about it. I agree. It's understandable in a lot of ways as corporations and other big companies have continued to grow and frankly continue to employ a lot of people from all walks of life. I think it makes sense that eventually these discussions happen because they want to stand out. And I'm sure it's gotten Starbucks some publicity, even if it's bad publicity. It's just how the system works. Starbucks is a progressive company. I mean, a few months ago, maybe a year ago, they launched something that said they were going to pay for college for their employees. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. They're trying to push society forward, but through a business model, it's kind of complicated in that way. Absolutely. And I also think to the SNL skit that we mentioned earlier, that it's funny for similar reasons, gender equality and also issues of sexuality and the whole gender flecked idea is interesting because it is real. It's something that people should discuss more. But again, people in any context, especially in public, aren't always comfortable discussing it. And that's just how people are. And so it's funny because there's sort of that awkward need to discuss because your boss is telling you, but also, frankly, the understanding that the other person you're talking to probably doesn't want to hear it, but you have no control over exactly. whether or not you discuss it. I mean, that customer is here to get coffee, or in the pet boy's case, to get their car fixed or whatever. And you're also putting this topic in the hands of people that might not be able to talk about it that well, I think, as the right. SNL skit Absolutely. illustrated. I mean, it was obviously a parody, but the employees of pet boys in the parody were 
pretty insensitive in talking about gender. So. For sure. And, I think, and it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. So. And this isn't any criticism of people like that because I think, frankly, you and I are on similar pages and that we don't know enough about race to really talk about it in depth and, frankly... It's possible we may never because we're not on that side of the coin, yet I still think it's an important discussion to have. And I think there's a lot of gray area in discussing things like this, but still important discussions to have. So are there any things you'd like our audience to think about or consider before we close out? Looking back at Chick-fil-A, looking at Starbucks, there are better ways to support causes than through companies. Think about that. Absolutely. I'm on the same page. I would also urge people to think about the role of race in your life. I'm not asking for any answers. You don't even have to come up with answers yourself. But I believe that thinking about it is definitely a step to learning. Whatever you happen to learn, I think it's very important. And if you can, listening to this podcast, maybe listen to it with a friend. See if you can start a conversation. Just one conversation. And if more conversations are generated after that, maybe we can actually get somewhere. I agree. You have to take those first steps. As Melody Hobson said, the Starbucks board member, you have to be a little bit less anxious and a little bit more bold. And I don't think that it's an easy problem to solve. I don't know if it'll be solved in our lifetime, I hope. But I also think things like this are very sensitive, but they're sensitive because they're important and for a lot of other reasons. And so they have to be addressed at some point, however we go about doing that. And again, I would urge the audience to remember that if you want to reach out to us on anything that we've said, if any of it's bothered you, We want to hear because we would like to correct that and in the future not make the same mistake. We know that's a very, very problematic topic in many ways to discuss. Of course, if you want to reach out to us, our Twitter is stride and saunter. You can email us strideandsaunter at gmail.com. Our Facebook account is stride and saunter. And we welcome you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you all for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And Caroline Borders, be bold. We'll see you next time.